The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. But I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning, and if you would open them to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. And we go back to the Old Testament this morning to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, one that I love to speak on. Uh, In my library, I have a, a book that was left to me by my dad. It was published in 1856. Now, he he didn't live in 1856, and I'm not that old. But it was a book that was published in 1856, and it's a book of sermons by Robert Murray McShane. And I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, but he was a Scottish preacher that lived in the early 19th century. And he only lived to be 29 years old. But during the time of his ministry, in that very short career, God greatly used him, and he was known as one of the greatest preachers of his time. And still today, those who are acquainted with his works will uh, are blessed by them, and we quote from them often because truly, as I said, he was a great preacher of the word. Robert Murray McShane had a message on this text, and it impressed me greatly. As I said, I already love the the passage itself, but he had a sermon on this and it impressed me and it really made me desire that I would preach on this as well because I think it's a very appropriate subject for us to talk about. It's especially appropriate at this time since we've just finished up outreach training in which we've learned effective ways to share the gospel with others and this text I thought would be a good one to complement that outreach training. It's appropriate because it speaks of the cold, dead lifelessness of a sinner that's without Christ. It speaks of the impossibility of a sinner doing anything that would enable him to reach up to God. It speaks of the monumental task that we have as preachers of God's word and as Christian workers to speak to people that are dead sinners, knowing that we have no power over them at all to try to convince them of anything. And then it also speaks of the monumental saving power of Almighty God who brings the dead sinner to life in order that he might hear and believe the gospel. And this text is just a very vivid picture of what must take place in a sinner's heart before he can come to Christ. Now let's look at this text, Ezekiel chapter 37. And if you'd stand with me once again in reverence for the reading of God's word, We'll begin reading at verse number 1, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse number 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I was commanded, 
And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now let me read just a little bit further because this gives us the meaning of the text in the, in the immediate context. Verse number 11 says, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful text that we've read today. We just ask that you would open up our understanding to see what you have for us. And Lord, draw us close to you as we learn from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't think it's very hard for you to see why that this text is so intriguing to me and why I'd want to preach from it. Now, before I I begin the message today, this is our Thanksgiving celebration, and you might wonder, how am I going to make a Thanksgiving sermon out of this particular text? Well, I think there are at least two ways in which I can do that. The first would be that we have in this text uh, a picture of people that are hopelessly lost without Christ, and that's where we were. We were undeserving of his mercy and his grace. Uh, in our sinfulness and our wickedness and the depravity of our hearts, God reached down into that miry pit of sin and he lifted us out and he set our feet upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. That's something to give thanks for, isn't it? Uh, today is a day to give thanks to the Lord. And so you can take, you do ought to thank the Lord for that every single day. But especially today, thank him because he saved your unworthy soul. And that says a lot about who God is and how much that he loves us. Now, the second way that I can make this a Thanksgiving sermon is for those of you that are less spiritual. In a few minutes, we're going to eat our Thanksgiving lunch, and you may uh, look at those turkey bones on your plate and think, can these bones live? And I will tell you that turkeys will not be resurrected, and that may have some special significance for some of you here today. Now, getting more serious, though, we, we have before us a very unusual passage of Scripture, and I don't think that there's anybody that could read this without having their curiosity aroused and just the imagination run wild at what Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel is a, a book of prophecy. We may wonder, what does this mean? I mean, there's all these mind-boggling images that we find in the book. But it is a a book of prophecy filled with these unique images and and visions of many dreadful things. Uh, In the first chapter, we find the call of Ezekiel. And uh, we have the frightening vision there that Ezekiel saw of the angelic creatures that are called seraphim. 
In the 10th chapter, uh, we have a description of the cherubim. And although those descriptions are of the elect angels of God, they are very frightening pictures. And I've told you before that if you were actually able to see an angel as he appears to God and how God created them, you'd be scared if you ever saw an angel. Now, I know that you're used to thinking of angels as little cupids with bows and arrows and, or maybe people that are in white robes that are sitting on clouds. A few years ago, Hollywood came out with a movie that starred Nicolas Cage, and he was an angel in a black trench coat who stood on buildings and sat on road signs. Well, that's not the picture that we have of angels in the Bible. So sometimes just read these other places and see how God describes or how the prophet describes uh, these, these angelic creatures of God. Then in other places of the book, there are stories of bloodshed and of vengeance, things that would almost make your blood curdle. And in this chapter, chapter 37, we have more images that if you really just pictured this in your mind, what Ezekiel was up against here, standing in this valley, I mean, this is a frightening scene that he has before him. And in order for us to understand the message of this prophecy, there has to be enlightenment. We have to be studious about this, and we must have a dependence upon God to give us the intent of the instruction that he has here. Now, to give you some background on the passage, in the year 586 B.C., Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonian army. Uh, They had conducted a year-long siege of the city, And as the walls of the city of Jerusalem were being breached, King Zedekiah, who was the king of Judah, tried to escape, and he went out of the city, and the Babylonians caught him near the ancient city of Jericho. And when they caught him, they made King Zedekiah watch as they slaughtered his children right before his eyes. And then, after they'd done that, they put out Zedekiah's eyes, So that was the very last thing that he actually saw, the cruelty of his children being killed. Then they took King Zedekiah in chains. They took him to Babylon, and there he later died. Three weeks later, the Babylonian army burned the city of Jerusalem to the ground. The temple, that magnificent temple that Solomon had built, was stripped of all of its treasures of gold, and all of those were transported to Babylon. Then the temple was torn down. Then the the king's palace that Solomon had built, that was torn down. The houses of the people were burned to the ground. And then the walls of Jerusalem were torn down. And so we have Ezekiel here writing about this or writing about what's happened to him because he was one of the people that was captured in the city of of Jerusalem and was transported to Babylon. And God called him to be a prophet to Israel, to these worn down, despairing children of Israel that had been placed in captivity in this foreign land. Now, our story begins in chapter 27, and the prophet Ezekiel is transported miraculously in the spirit to a valley that's filled with bones. And what Ezekiel was about to learn and to observe was the mighty power of God in, in being able to deliver this downtrodden, defeated, and despairing Israel from the captivity that they were in. How that God can change impossible circumstances, make everything different, and he can turn defeat into victory. And that part of the story, that's all well and good for Ezekiel. But the reason that God preserves this vision for us today 
and brings it down to us today is to teach us some very valuable lessons to help us to understand the hopelessness of a lost sinner without Christ. And once we truly understand what's wrong with man, then we're ready to seek the miracle of God's salvation. So I'd like to present to you today a, a, a message from the valley of these dead bones in Ezekiel 37. Now today we're going to notice three things about these bones. First of all is the character of the bones, the character of them. Now Ezekiel describes himself as being set down by God in a valley. And it seems as if he was stationed in the midst of this spacious battlefield where thousands and even tens of thousands of men had been slain. And there was no one that was left to bury them. And so all of these bones, these bodies that were out there, no one was left to take up the tedious task of burying the dead bodies. And so this is a battlefield that had been left to the wild animals and the elements of nature for who knows how long. Now, the eagles had many times gathered over that, that valley where these men had died and the vultures were there and the wild animals of the, of the mountains had come down and they'd eaten the flesh off of these bodies so that there was nothing left but the bones. And so the sun and the wind and the rain had bleached those bones so that Ezekiel was moved to write that these bones were dry and not only were they dry, but he says that they were very dry. Now, I don't know what Ezekiel might have thought, but I'm sure as he stood there, there, there had to be an eerie feeling that came over him, a vast valley filled with all of these bones and everything is stone cold silent. Just the whisper of the wind is heard. There's not a sign of human life found anywhere. And then out of that conspicuous deadly silence, the voice of God speaks to him and he says, son of man, can these bones live? And what a strange question that was to ask concerning dry, very dry bones. Now, you may remember in Luke chapter 8, there's the story of how Jesus had raised a man's daughter. And when Jesus raised her, he said, she's not dead, but she sleeps. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. Well, here we're not talking about the newly dead, although dead is dead. We're not talking about the newly dead. These are bones that are dry. dry. They are very dry. They weren't even complete skeletons. These are bones that have been separated from the other bones, from the connecting bones, because the wild animals had come down and torn those bodies apart. And yet God asked the question, can these bones live? And if he'd asked that question of anyone that didn't know him as Jehovah God, if he'd asked the scientists and the evolutionists and the university professors, can these bones live? Is there life in them? No doubt they would have said there is no way that these bones could ever live. Disjointed bodies, disjointed bones can never come together. They can never live. And what I want you to see today is that the bones that Ezekiel saw in this valley that were dead and dry and lifeless so is the person who is without Jesus Christ as his Savior. And if you're here today and you don't know him as Savior, you may not realize how God looks at you, but this is the way he sees you. You're cold, you're dead, you're lifeless, you have no spiritual life that's in you. So people that are without Christ are spiritually dead, and in them they have the same characteristics as a physically dead body. 
Dry bones are the farthest of all from ever living. And so is the person who is a spiritually dead man. He's that far away from eternal life. Now notice the characteristics of these bones. First, they have no appeal to desire them. As Ezekiel looked at these bones, I don't believe that he saw anything in them that made them valuable. There was no one out there in the valley who was picking up as many bones as he could, hoping that he would enrich himself by possessing dead, dry bones. These are worthless bones, worse than worthless, because there wasn't even a person in all this time that had taken care to bury them. And so it is with the person without Jesus. First of all, he sees nothing in Jesus that would cause him to desire him but more importantly than that neither does christ see anything in a man in a a lost person that attracts him to him or would cause christ to want that man for his own now some time ago i heard a preacher say to a congregation he said to them you are worth something god wants you because you are valuable to him I think Rick Warren in his book said the very same thing. He said, God can't stand. He can't bear to live without you. Now, let's get that reasoning out of our minds very quickly because God does not want us because we are valuable. He doesn't want us because we can enrich him, because we can give him something that he doesn't have, and he doesn't want us because he can't do it without us. No, God wants a lost sinner for reasons that are found only in God himself. And that alone is a miracle that we can't understand. That because he is loving, because he is kind, because he's merciful and he's gracious, that is the only reason that God would ever want a wicked sinner. To him, we're no more than a sack of dead, dry bones. And I know that seems unkind, and that might bruise your ego. It might hurt your feelings. And it's not what you hear preached mostly today, but this is the truth of God's word. And people will never come to Christ until they see themselves as God sees them. The Bible says that we are corrupt, that we have gone astray. It says that we are full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. And we've got to stop thinking that there is worth in us when there is no worth. That's how God sees us. Now, we also find this as a characteristic of dead dry bones that dead bones dry bones are without marrow or spirit well the bible tells us that man was made to be a habitation of god through the spirit and it's only when we're when we're led by him it's only when the spirit speaks to us it's only when the spirit is there that we become alive unto god Now, you see, a a man does not have the Spirit of God living in him. He has no spiritual work that would awaken him to the things of God. He has no convincing of righteousness. He has no conviction in his heart. He has no sanctifying work. He has no walk in the Spirit. He doesn't even have the ability to pray to God because God does not listen to people who don't know and don't receive Christ as their Savior. You can't expect that you could ever pray to a God who loves you as he loves you and at the same time that you can reject his greatest gift that he gave you. You can't reject Christ and speak to God. So here is a a lost man. He has nothing. He's dead as he can possibly be. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. 
I'm going to explain that to you very simply. You know what people know because you are a person. You have the spirit of man in you. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, you do not have the spirit of God in you, and so you cannot understand spiritual things. If we tell people about the loveliness of Jesus Christ, if we tell them how he offers himself to be their complete Savior, they're not going to get up and come to him. Dry bones can't stretch out their arms to embrace Christ. Dry bones can't hear the message that we preach. They have no heart to attend to it. They have no ears to hear the message. They're not moved to get up and flee for their lives when we tell them about hell and how man without Jesus Christ will die and go to hell. They hear that, but it doesn't register with them. They're not going to get up and do anything about it. And here's the reason. They are dead. They're spiritually dead. They cannot hear that. Now, everything that I've said about those dry bones in the valley is true of a person without Christ. It's true of the lost sinner who sits in the congregation today. And so you might ask, what are we to do? I mean, isn't there a paradox here? How can God command the lost sinner to come to him and to believe in him and to take him as his Lord and his Savior when the Scripture describes that same man as being lost and dead and lifeless, motionless, without any ability to come? How are we going to overcome this problem? Jesus said in John six forty four, No man can come to me except the Father which is in heaven or has sent me, draw him. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, Paul said, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so how can a person do what I'm doing here today? And that is to stand here with all honesty and tell people to come to Christ when the Bible says they cannot come. Now, Paul nailed the lost condition of man in Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verse number 1, where he said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. And again in verse number 5 of that chapter, he repeats that same message, We're dead in sins, but it is God who makes us alive. Now that brings me to the second point, and that is the commission to preach to dead dry bones. Now, I think I could tell you that when Ezekiel heard this question, can these bones live, that he knew that it was not within his power to make this happen. Now, you or I, we might have said, well, no, Lord, those bones can't possibly live. Those bones are dry. Those bones are very dry. Everybody knows that dead, dry bones cannot live. But that's not the answer that Ezekiel gave. Ezekiel was the man of God. Ezekiel was in the spirit of God. And he knew that if this was going to happen, only God could do it. Have you ever felt that helplessness? Have you ever felt that helplessness in speaking to someone who doesn't know Christ as Savior? And they hear you and you tell them and you implore them and you plead with them. But they don't do anything about it. They, they do nothing. Have you ever felt the helplessness of it? Have you read the papers? Have you seen what's going on here in Sonoma County? Have you read about the decadence and the, and the evil that we find in San Francisco? And are you aware, I'm sure you are, of a 250-acre casino that's on the other side of the highway here that is a testament to the depravity of man? Have you seen that? How are we going to deal with that? 
There is so much wickedness that we can't help but ask, how are these lost people going to live? What's going to change their minds? Can you do it? Can I do it? Can a person change his mind himself? Now, you already know the answer to this, I think. There is no hope without the power of God. Now, Ezekiel was told to preach. Look at verse number 4. Again, he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, can you imagine someone coming by that day and seeing Ezekiel standing up on a rock with a Bible in his hand and preaching to a cemetery? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone would come along and they would say, Ezekiel, you've lost your mind. What are you doing speaking to a valley full of dead, dry bones? And Ezekiel, why are you preaching? And what about that thing of preaching anyway? Standing up there and pounding the rock and pointing your finger at those bones? What's that all about anyway? Well, I can tell you what that's about. The Bible says that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, that's an interesting statement. It comes from 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 21, where Paul said, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And that does not mean that the act of preaching itself is foolish, although for some preachers it may be. That's not what it means. Neither does it mean that preaching is the cause of a person believing. See, I could stand up here all day. I can exhort. I can plead with you. I can cry for you to come to Christ, and that will never happen because God never saves anyone just for the act of preaching. And what the Scripture is telling us here is that it pleased God by the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. And what is that thing that we preach? That's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says that it's the power of God. It's not the act of preaching itself. It is the message that we preach. That's what has the power to save. And the world believes that that message is utterly foolish. But Paul says that it is the gospel that contains the power of God. And the word power is the same word as we get dynamite. That's where our word dynamite comes from. He says it is a power, it's the dynamite of God unto salvation. Now the gospel according to the apostle Paul are the words that he recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in verse 1. He said, moreover brethren I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, and that's the only thing that has the power to save. Now, again, that, that's all well and good, but don't we still have a problem? The bones are dead. They don't have any ears. They don't have any life. So what good is it to preach the gospel to them? 
And I'm glad you asked that question. You're exactly right about this. This shows that you've been listening. You're listening to the sermon and you've reasoned this out. By all good reason, the men are spiritually dead like dead dry bones. And so it's not going to do any good to preach the gospel to them. And I'll tell you without hesitation that that is exactly what I believe. The words that we preach are absolutely powerless and they cannot be heard by a person dead in trespasses and sin. I can take my Bible and hand it to you and tell you to begin reading in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1 and don't stop reading until you get to Revelation 22, verse number 21. And when you get finished reading, you'll be as lost as you were at the beginning. That's because a valley that's full of dry bones cannot hear the message of the Lord. They can't do anything to make themselves hear. They have no sensibility that the Word of God is being preached to them. And people that are dead in trespasses and sin cannot hear the message that we preach. Though we preach till we're blue in the face and we pass out from exhaustion. But let me tell you something. That is not the end of this story. Ezekiel was told to preach all right, but God did not leave the hearing of this message up to Ezekiel. Thirdly, I want you to see the call of the dead, dry bones. We look in verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. Now, do you see that? God says, Behold, I. Behold, I. Not you, Ezekiel. Not you, preacher. Not you, Sunday school worker. Not you, visitation worker. Not you, but I. I will cause these people to live I will cause breath to enter into you that you'll live. And folks, don't you know that that is a glorious truth that is completely passed over because men and women are sent out every day knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus Christ, never depending upon the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to open up a sinner's heart. And preachers stand in pulpits and they beg people to come down the aisles as if they have in their own ability the power to convict them of their sins. We don't have that power. The bones are dead. The bones are lifeless. They cannot hear. And all of those sinners that are around us are dead. They are also lifeless until the Spirit of God opens their heart and illumines their mind. Until then, they're not going to come to Christ. And this is a point in theology that many men, many preachers, including many Baptists, miss. Because they think that the word preached by itself is sufficient to cause a man to come to Christ. And so they camp on the idea that man has free will. And they sacrifice everything on the altar of free will. And they conclude that man by himself chooses by himself to come to God. And that's a very strange thing because the same preacher who says that prays a prayer after the sermon asking God to change the sinner's mind so that he might believe. If all of our dependence is upon free will outside of the interference of the hand of God, then let's stop praying for God to change people's hearts because they can do it by themselves. Let's at least be consistent with the theology. Stop the prayers if that's what you believe. Now, I I would have liked to have been there to hear Ezekiel preaching. And I wonder if he said something like this to the dead, dry bones. Now, bones, listen up. Here are your choices. Believe it and you will live, 
or don't believe it and you'll stay dead. The choice is up to you. Wait, 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 wait. They're dry bones. They're dead bones. They don't make choices. They can't make decisions. Dead men tell no tales. And the lost sinner, dead in trespass and sin, cannot make a choice to come to Christ without enabling power. God says, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. All the preaching that we could ever do can never put life into one dead sinner unless it's accompanied by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit of God. Many years ago, I heard a preacher say from this very pulpit, he said, God votes for you, and Satan votes against you, and you cast the deciding vote. Now, friend, let me tell you this. If you cast the deciding vote, you will lose every time. You know why? Because the Bible says your mind, your will, your conscience is depraved so that you will always vote against God. And so how foolish it is to believe that, that the salvation of eternal souls rests upon a whimsical notion. How foolish to believe that God and Satan are on equal ground in the matter of salvation. This is not a contest between God and Satan. I believe in a God that accomplishes his purposes. He doesn't leave the salvation of any person up to a mere chance. When he decides to save, he will save. Matthew wrote this in his gospel. And she shall bring forth a son. And this is the angel, Gabriel, speaking to Joseph. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Listen, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now we notice what's recorded in Acts 16 concerning Lydia. This is in verse 14 of Acts chapter 16. Paul is preaching at Philippi. And a certain woman named Lydia a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, listen, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now, do you notice what it says? The Lord opened her heart. Now, well, now, wait just a minute. What happened to her free will? Oh, her free will was still intact because when the Lord opened her heart, she freely came to Christ. She freely listened and received the word that Paul preached And so she freely followed what Paul said, and she never would have done that until the Spirit of God opened her heart. According to Philippians 2.13, where it says, God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, that's what happened to her. And I'm going to say this. You maybe hear, hear me say it again. You can tell the difference between those whose hearts have been opened up by man and those whose hearts have been opened by God. Because those who have their hearts opened by God follow him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. What does that mean? That God forces us to trust him? Well, no. Because there's not a person yet who trusted the Lord and followed him without being conscious of the fact that that is exactly what he wanted to do. You see, this is what happens when God opens the eyes of a blinded sinner. He understands his condition, and he sees that there is no hope without Christ. Before that, he took no interest in spiritual things. He cared nothing at all about the will of God. But now that his eyes are opened, he comes to God in God-given faith, trusting Jesus to save him from his sins. And that's what God means when he says, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. 
It's a parallel to that scripture we read a moment ago, Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. The spirit must quicken. And that word means to make alive. The spirit must make alive before a lost sinner can believe. God causes the breath to come into the dead, dry bones. And they will not respond until he does that. They could not respond to the message of Ezekiel. And so God opens the sinner's heart before he receives the message of salvation. Now we have a parallel example of that in John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus and and he commanded that Lazarus should come out of the grave. But Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And that's a point that's made specifically in Scripture. It's a very important point. He's been dead for four days so that his sister said he already stinks. His body has already begun to decompose. And yet Jesus went to that tomb and he stood before the tomb and he commanded that Lazarus would come out. How? Dead men don't hear Dead men can't move. And so what Jesus had to do first was to energize him, and then Lazarus could come out of the grave. Then he could respond. And that's what God does to the lost sinner through the preaching of the gospel. The Holy Spirit energizes. The Holy Spirit regenerates so that man may exercise saving faith. Well, in our story, in Exodus, or Ezekiel rather, 37, the stage is set for the calling of the dead, dry bones. God has given the promise that he's going to cause the bones to live. Now look again at verse number 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. So Ezekiel preached the word, and just as God promised, he covered those bones with muscles and ligaments. He filled the body cavities with the heart, the lung, and the kidneys, and all the necessary organs, and then he breathed breath into their nostrils. And when God was finished, there was a new man resurrected by the power of God Almighty. Now, to the eye of reason, that seems impossible. How can bones come together Bone to correct bone. Sinews and flesh should come upon them. Breath should enter into them. And then that they would stand upon their feet in exceeding great army. That's impossible. It doesn't happen. And Ezekiel saw those bones. And he saw there was nothing in himself. He saw that there was nothing in the whole of creation that could produce a change like this. And that is our parallel to the preaching of the gospel. Do you see what happens when the word of God is preached? Hebrews says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is the instrument that God uses to bring a person from spiritual life to spiritual death. The sword of the Spirit wielded in the hand of the man of God 
has power. So God didn't say to Ezekiel, don't worry about preaching. Don't worry about speaking to them. I'm going to bring them to life anyway. No, he said, prophesy. God said, preach. And when we preach, he promises that his word will not return to him void. Isaiah 55:11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Don't ever get this idea in your head that the preaching of the gospel of Christ is vain. I mean, because you don't see a visible reaction to it, that doesn't mean that it's preached in vain. It doesn't mean that. God sends his word where he wants it to go. He accomplishes with it the purpose that he intended. And so if you never see a visible outward move by anyone, still know the word of God is working. Or if you see a thousand people that come to Christ, then you know that God has sent it out and it accomplished the purpose that he intended for it to have. Our job is only do one thing. One thing. Obey the command to give the gospel and then leave God with the task of saving the lost sinner. So what are you going to do when you're faced with the hardest cases of unbelief? And you've all talked to them. You've talked to people that are stubborn, they're obstinate, they will not come. What do you do when you're faced with the worst cases of unbelief? Do you stop? Do you give up? Well, think for just a minute. Who had a harder audience to preach to than Ezekiel? Dead, dry bones, a cemetery, if you will, preaching to them? Is that a hard audience to try to win? This is why you need God. It's why you need God. He changes the heart. So the next time that you look at the homeless person on the street, a drug addict or a criminal or even a self, a, a self-vindicating moral person who thinks, I don't need to be saved, just remember... You don't have anybody harder to preach to than did Ezekiel. Dead, dry bones, very dry bones came to life when Ezekiel faithfully delivered the message that God told him to preach. So here's the thing for you, Christian worker, and why it's so applicable to our outreach training. Don't ever try to go out in your own strength. Don't ever try to do this in your own strength. You can never, no matter what you do, you cannot make the word of God effectual in the sinner's heart. Only God can do that. And I can tell you that if you're a lost sinner here today and you don't know Christ, and I ask you to trust him, I ask you to turn to him and believe in him, did you know that you would never entertain a proposition like that unless the spirit of God was already working in your heart? That's proof that he's already working, that you would even listen to what I have to say and say, I need to do that. The Holy Spirit is working. God speaks to the heart, God supplies the faith, and then you may surrender freely to his will. Now, for those of you who are saved, don't forget who does the convicting. Don't forget who does the saving. Don't forget who does the changing. Remember this, the Holy Spirit has told you to go. And you go out in the power of the Spirit, and unless you preach what God says to preach, dead bones will never come to life. The gospel is the only thing that will save. And yet, we find all around us churches that have abandoned the gospel of Christ. They no longer preach it. Instead, now they tell you to think positively. Be happy. Claim your miracle from God. 
And I'll tell you something like that. Preaching like that never saved anybody. Preaching like that leaves dead bones just like they found them, still dead. We must have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must tell people that they are sinners and they're on their way to hell. And if they do not repent and turn to Jesus Christ, they will die and spend eternity in that awful place. That's the message that saved. Jesus came to change all of that by his death upon the cross. So we must preach the gospel. Be thankful today for the work of the Holy Spirit. Be thankful for your salvation. Be thankful that you have heaven as your home. Be thankful that God has given you eternal life. Be thankful for that because he's the only one that could ever give it to you. You can't claim it on your own. You'll never have it on your own. you have anything on your own as far as God is concerned unless you turn to him. God breathes life into cold, dead, lifeless sinners. Thank him because he does that. Give him the thanks because he deserves it. He deserves it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we've read today and studied, how important it is for us to really understand what goes on in the sinner's mind and how the sinner is lost and depraved and can never come. And it takes your power, the Holy Spirit's power, taking the gospel of Christ and convicting the heart before a person can ever come to you. We can't ever leave this message behind. We cannot abandon it because people will not be saved without the gospel. The hardest of cases, or as we may even think, the easiest of cases, none of them come to faith in Christ without the Holy Spirit. Lord, we do know that you've told us to go. You've told us to go and that you will do the work of breathing life into them. And we leave that into your hands, O God. We leave it into your hands. Just help us to be faithful to give the message to others. Speak to some heart today. Speak to a Christian. Speak to a lost person. May they understand May they understand what Jesus did on the cross and how there is no hope except in him. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.